Well, Merry Christmas, everybody. It is Christmas Eve, and I know many of you have been chasing the perfect present, putting food together, looking forward to spending time with family, and we're just thankful that you've taken a little bit of your time to join us tonight, uh, or this afternoon, actually, for this time of celebration of ultimately what Christmas is all about. Again, it's so easy for us to lose focus on what the center of the celebration is about, and it is Jesus. And so we have made an effort through song and through video to tell the story because here's what's important for every one of us to know is this, that context defines the content. Like that's, that's true in, in anything in, when you try to communicate something, when you try to share your heart with somebody, when you try to write a story, when you try to talk to somebody, it's really important that you make sure that you are sharing the context because context defines the content. Let me tell you what I mean by that. So if you have content, again, you're trying to get something across, you're trying to communicate with somebody, it can be lost. Something can be missed. Things can be overlooked if you don't put it in the proper context. Some of you have heard the saying before, being taken out of context, right? It's, it's said during political cycles, politicians will accuse their um, detractors of saying, well, they took that quote out of context. And I would imagine anybody that if you attend here regularly, all of our faith family are glad you're here. You know this. I could probably be taken out of context every week and probably be fired. So it's important that context happens, right? Let me just give you a couple examples. Some of you maybe heard um, of the husband and wife that were texting each other because texting, right, it's one of those things that it's important that you have context. So a wife, she texts her husband and says this, uh, honey, windows frozen, help. And so the husband texts back to his wife and says this, pour a bucket of warm water on him. So a few minutes later, she responds back and says, honey, the computer's really in trouble now. Why? Because, again, there is in texting, even though it's an amazing technology, think about it. You can text people. You can give them information quick, immediate. It's something our culture's all about. But how many people know that you can be misunderstood or you can misunderstand somebody through texting? Do you know why? Because texting doesn't allow often for a lot of context. Context comes through communication. Right, if I'm talking to you, you hear my voice inflection, my level, my pitch, my tone. You can read my body language. So if you text somebody and they respond back and say, I don't care, is that, I don't care? Is that like attitude or is it like, I don't care, like whatever? Right, it's easy to misunderstand the content because you don't have the context, again, of voice and body language. How many of you guys hate it when you send somebody like a two or three paragraph thing and, you resp and people respond back with one word? Don't you hate that? Especially when it's, and here's the thing is, a lot, a lot of times they'll give like an I don't care, or the worst, the worst is LOL. Now, I've given some LOLs, and I've received some LOLs, and you have to be honest. I can just be honest up here. Sometimes when I give an LOL, it's because I think what someone sent me was funny, but sometimes I give an LOL, which basically means I'm too busy to be involved with your foolishness, but I have to respond because I don't want you to think I don't like you, so LOL, Right? But people can't read that because why? They don't have the context of really what I'm saying, right? If you have a passive-aggressive personality, texting is a beautiful thing because you can tell somebody exactly what you mean and then just put a smiley emoji by it and everything's okay, right? Because, watch, again, this is so important. It's because the context defines the content. The only thing worse than getting a one-word response to a text is getting no response at all. Don't you hate when you send somebody a message and you see the bubble, you know they read it. And if they're not smart enough to turn the settings off, it even says red. And then they don't respond. 
They may not be saying anything, but they're saying plenty. So again, it's context defines the content. Uh, not only in body language and in the way we talk and verbalize, but punctuation helps define context. Let me just give you a great example. A lot of kids are going to be rushing in, grandmas and grandpas, mom's dad's cooking. Grandma's been cooking all day. The grandkids show up. They're hungry. They can't wait to eat. And they run in and they say, let's eat, grandma. What they're saying is, we're hungry to eat what you prepared. But if you move this little comma out of the way, all of a sudden the context changed and kids run in and says, hey, let's eat, grandma which means it's just changed from a holiday feast to the zombie apocalypse. Because, here's the thing, the content hasn't changed, but the context has changed. I'll give you a really great example, something I literally overheard just several weeks ago, and I'll save the context for a minute, but let me just give you the content. I overheard one person tell another person, we're going to have to take her legs off if she's going to fit. Now, you might think, like, did you call 911? Did a murder take place? Like what, what, like, what was the dismemberment that you witnessed? But if I give you the context and told you that it happened in a store with two women working with a mannequin, all of a sudden, right, when I give you context, the content makes sense. I'll give you one that's really relevant and current right now. We got any Star Wars fans in the house? How many people here have seen Rogue One in the last week? Got to give it up. Come on, give up some love. Hopefully y'all are praying for Princess Leah. Maybe you heard she had a massive heart attack on a plane last night, literally in the hospital. But um, I went and seen an opening night Star Wars Rogue One. I'm a, I was raised in the 70s, so I seen like the original in the movie first time, um, you know, uh, the Star Wars series come out, and just amazing. But we went the other night, and we seen it. Some of the staff and myself walked into the theater at 1030 at night to watch it. And I know what you're thinking. What kind of geek are you to go at 1030 at night and watch Star Wars? And I'll tell you what kind of geek I am. I was so geeked out that I took my childhood Star Wars Luke Skywalker action figure in my pocket. <laughs> I didn't. I made that up just now. But like, we, I was excited to see it. You know, I've seen all the movies, was geeked up to get there, and I love movies anyways, especially, you know, high action, high caliber films. The more, the more blasters, right, the more lightsabers, the more people who get shot. I'm all about it. I'm making noise. But we get in there. It's kind of quiet. It's warm in the theater. It's been a really long day, and it starts kind of slow, but the movie starts picking up, and I'm geeked up. I'm excited to watch this new Star Wars entry, Rogue One, and I'm not going to give too much away, but I'm going to give a little bit, just a spoiler alert. I'm just going to tell you this. It ends bad. It ends bad. And you watch this whole movie, and you're, I've been excited for it. I get it, and I watch it, and I love it all the way through. But at the end, you're like, no. No, is that it? And here's why. It's because if all you see is Rogue One, if that's the only movie you've seen, and you don't have the context that it's told in, you miss the power of the story. If all you see is a moment of this movie and you don't understand that Rogue One fits in a timeline of Star Wars movies. Because here's why. Rogue One is a story about how, remember right, like how did they get the battle plans to defeat the Death Star? How did that happen? Rogue One tells a story, but even though this movie ends bad, it leads into the movie. And I love the title, A New Hope. And so you have to understand the context because it defines the content. There is no place that that is more true than in the Christmas story. See, a lot of times we come to this season and we think that Christmas is all about just a baby in a manger and we love to put our big lighted letter A in the front yard right next to our baby Jesus in the manger because we love Alabama football as much as we love Jesus. Come on, you can say it. It's true. Roll Tide and we love Jesus. 
Because we think that this is all it is. But what I want to do for just a few minutes is help you to know that if you will take Christmas in context, if you'll take the content of the Christmas story and you'll put it in the context of the story that it's told, we can take one of the greatest moments in human history and it can literally change and transform your life and your heart because it is the most powerful story ever told in context. In fact, I want us to look at just a few minutes, a couple scriptures. This is found in the Gospel of Matthew where part of the Christmas story, the birth of Jesus, is told. Now, let me just give you some backdrop here. So some of you may know the story, right? So Mary, you may not know this, but Mary was not a 20-something. More likely, she was probably 14 or 15 years old. A very young girl, might be contrary to our culture, but was very typical for their culture. She was at that time, she was engaged to be married to a young man by the name of Joseph. And the Bible tells us the backdrop and the context of their story that there was a moment where Mary got a message from an angel, and the angel showed up and told her that she was going to have a child. And even though that she had not slept with a man, even though she had not had intimacy or intercourse with a man, that there was a child in her womb, and that baby, when it came forth, that that baby was going to be the Messiah. And so can you imagine that awkward conversation because now she knows that she's pregnant. She has to go to Joseph and tell Joseph, hey, hey Joseph, um, i got to tell you something. It's, it's good news and bad news. The bad news is I'm pregnant. He's like, well, you know, what's, what's the good news? He's like, the good news is, like, I'm pregnant with the Messiah. I'm pregnant with God's anointed child. And I've never slept with anybody. And he's like, yeah, right. I mean, can you imagine how awkward it would be maybe for your fiance guys to come to you pregnant and tell you that even though she's pregnant, she's not cheated on you? So Joseph, he's not buying it. He doesn't believe it. In fact, he decides in order to avoid the shame that would be very common in their culture, he makes the decision to shun Mary and to divorce her. Like, we're not going through with the marriage. Like, this relationship's done. Like Jesus made this decision. Well, he goes to bed in the midst of this decision in his heart. And here's where the story picks up. Check this out. As he considered this, the decision to divorce Mary because she's pregnant with a child that's not his. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Keep reading. Read this with me. And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Here's the message. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She'll give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So I want you to see this. This, in essence, is the Christmas story. That what we celebrate as almost 2,000 years ago, that a baby was born through Mary, it was a precious, original, unique child being the Son of God, being born in that moment, the Messiah, the Rescuer, the Deliverer. But here's the thing. You have to understand that context defines the content. And I just want you today, tonight, for a few minutes, I want you to see how incredible this story of Christmas really is. That when you see Christmas in context, when you understand, even in fact, in just a couple of these verses, that it's not just a moment, but like you got to get the whole message. And I want you to see, look at these two verses real quick that we just read. Watch this. It says, and she will have a son and you're to name him Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. 
All this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. See, this isn't just a moment. In these few verses, we understand that there is a past, there is a present, and there is a future. That this moment in history is more than a baby being born. There is a foretelling, there is a fulfillment, and there is a future. Check out right here, the, 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 um, go to this one right here. It says that all of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet, which means this. Think about this. That this baby being born didn't just happen spontaneously. The Old Testament is filled with over 300 prophecies that God would send forth a Messiah, a deliverer. In fact, it's so profound. Maybe you've never heard this before. But do you know it was prophesied when Jesus would be born? It was prophesied where he would be born. Malachi 5.2 tells us that he would be born in Bethlehem. It tells us that he would come through the line and the lineage of David. It was not by happenstance. Over 300 prophecies were spoken literally hundreds of years beforehand, declaring and announcing the coming of the moment we're celebrating this season, the coming of the Messiah. In fact, the greatest one is mentioned here. Isaiah said that one of the most telling signs of this miracle moment would would be that she would that the baby would come forth from a virgin so there is a there's a, a foretelling there is a past but then watch this in the moment you've got the presence but then there's a future see what you need to know is that this baby that we celebrate this bambino in the manger grew up he didn't stay in the manger and he didn't stay a baby he grew up and became a man in his life in his story is one that's been told all over this world for the last 2,000 years. And literally hundreds of millions of people have been transformed by the story of not just a baby being born, not just of the moment, but of the future. Because it wasn't what just happened in this moment, it's what would happen. Everyone say these two words, he will. There's a future. Let me just talk for just a couple minutes on his future. In his future, one of the things that he did was he went around for three and a half years as he got older for a period of time, and he taught. He preached. And it's amazing because why he did it is he wanted to recalibrate the way we thought about God. If I ask every one of you in this room, hey, tell me what you think about God. Like, what do you think God is like? Some of you would think that God is just a benevolent creature somewhere, or that maybe God is a cosmic killjoy that's just mad at humanity all the time. Or maybe you're not even sure that God is there. Maybe you have what you feel is no evidence. But the point is, we could just get a conglomeration of responses out of this room. But Jesus said this. Jesus said, I came to show you what God is like. I want you all to have the same picture of what God in heaven is like. In fact, he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Which means as we look at Jesus, as we listen to Jesus, as we watch Jesus, the Son of God, it gives us a reflection of the Father. And so when he went around healing people, right, because he did it, he healed multitudes, people who are sick and broken. It tells us this about God, that when you're hurting, you're not alone. When you're broken, you're not abandoned. When Jesus cared to minister to the multitudes, it was God's way of showing us that he cares about every situation you're in. Have you ever been broken? Have you ever been sick? Have you ever felt like maybe God wasn't there? Because Jesus gives us the picture to let us know, hey, God cares. Another thing that Jesus did when it says he will was he touched lepers, which means he ministered to people who were marginalized and who were minimized in that society and that culture, people who were looked down to, people that were kept at arm's length. It was God's way of saying, I care not just about uppity people. I care about all people. I care about everybody. 
And maybe you're here and you think, like, I just don't have enough money or I'm not smart enough. I don't have a good enough job. I don't wear the right clothes. Like, I'm not married yet. Like, my bank account's not big enough. And so, you know, I'm not really sure that God cares about me or God sees me. I'm just kind of this single mom and I'm struggling through life. I'm, I'm kind of a nobody. I don't really have a lot of friends. And does God see me? When you watch Jesus minister to the people he ministered to, it was his way of declaring to you that he sees you. He knows you. He loves you. He cares for you. Because when we see Jesus, we see the Father. Another thing that Jesus did, right, was he not only healed the multitudes and touched lepers, like when you watch his ministry, he did all of these incredible things. And like it was, again, this demonstration of what God was like. And when you watch his story, it's not just the picture we get of who he is, but Jesus gives us a new picture of who you are. One of the greatest stories that Jesus told, you find three of them in a row in Luke chapter 15. It's the story of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. And when Jesus tells this story, he's trying to tell us who you are. And he's trying to tell us who we are in the eyes of God. One of the stories is the parable of the lost sheep. And here's kind of the real quick backdrop is that there is a shepherd and he has 100 sheep and one of the 100 leave and he has the 99, but the shepherd decides to leave the 99 to go after the one. And it doesn't take long for us to understand that God is the shepherd. He is our provider, our caretaker. He is everything that we need. And he doesn't look at the ones that he's got. He doesn't look at the church people and the good people and say, hey, I've got enough. He looks at the one that went away and says, I care enough to come after you. I care enough about the individual. See, like, you might think it's like just about the church or all these religious people. And again, it's God saying that I care about you. And then you read, in my estimation, one of the greatest stories he told, and it's the parable of the prodigal son. Like, I was there as a prodigal son. Maybe you have been there where you just go through this rebellious season. Like, you don't listen to mom and dad. Like, you throw things, you leave, you want to run away. Jesus tells a story about a rebellious young man, the prodigal son, who leaves his father's house, goes out, shutting the clubs down, sleeping around, wastes all of his money. And you would think dad would be up in arms. Dad would be like, I'm finished with him. I don't want anything to do with him. In fact, don't even use my last name. It's not the story. The story is that Jesus tells us that the father every day is looking over the horizon, waiting and longing for the return of his son. Is he here? Is today the day my son comes home? And when, you, when Jesus tells the story, what he's saying is that maybe you've been rebellious. Maybe you've ran from God. Maybe you live life your own way. God's not mad at you. He's not upset at you. He's not disowning you. He cannot wait. And he is longing for the day that you come home to him. So see, it's more than a moment. There is a foretelling, hundreds of prophecies. There is a fulfillment when Jesus was born, but there was a future when he lived and he taught, but that ended with him dying. That ended with not just him dying on the cross of Calvary where he said these words, to telestai. It's one word in the language he spoke and what it meant is it's paid in full. It's finished. Every mistake, shortcoming, sin, everything you've ever done wrong, Jesus came not just to be born and not just to live, but the mission of Jesus was always to lay down his life for you and for me. And on that cross, what he was saying is, forgiveness is now available. Grace is your gift. But three days later, the greatest 
kind of the, the goal of the story, kind of the climax of the moment was that three days after the death of Jesus, come on, some of you know this, Jesus rose again and he lives forevermore. That's what the story's about. Not that a baby came, but a baby lived and died and rose from the dead. That's the Jesus we celebrate this season. And when he rose from the dead, it was his way of saying, what holds you down can't hold me down. And because I have victory, you have victory. And when you trust him, when you put your faith in him, when you give him your heart, I'm telling you, he takes all of your mess, all of your broken, all of your sin, and he gives you his grace, his love, his victory, and he gives you his name. And in a moment, you can become a child of God. It's kind of like this. We have to understand that it's, it's more than a moment. It's more than just a chapter. Like, there's a whole story to be told, right? Christmas isn't a standalone story. It's just a chapter in a book. And so I want to lay it down for you real quick as we close. Here's what we need to understand tonight. Again, it's not just the moment of the manger. This moment that we celebrate at Christmas, it fits in a timeline. It's the context that makes Christmas really powerful. That there is a prophecy spoke that he would come. He was born. But he had a life, he had a death, and he had a resurrection. And so I would say it this way, real quick. We sinned. Jesus came from heaven. He never sinned. He died for all sin so we could be forgiven of our sin so we could go to heaven. We've all made mistakes. That's why Jesus showed up. Jesus came to rescue us. He lived a sinless, spotless, perfect life to be our sacrifice, to die for you and to die for me. You don't have to be religious to understand this message. You don't have to be religious to own this message. All you have to do is understand that he came for you and he died for your sin and he died for mine. And the reason he did it was he came from heaven to take what we have and to give us what he has so we could go to heaven.